Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hi, everyone. I'm, well, it's obvious. I'm John Verhoeven, and I was a cop back in the 80s in Sydney. And I'm Paul Verhoeven, John's son. I'm an author, and I wrote two books about Dad's time as a cop. The first five seasons of Loose Units spanned my time in general duties, forensics, my time as a firefighter, and even my stint running a funeral home. This season we're visiting the locations of Australia's most notorious, baffling, horrific crimes and looking at what happened there. From Snowtown to the family, from the Morehouse murders to haunted highways, this season of Loose Units is your go-to guide to the worst crimes in Australian true crime history. Welcome to Loose Units, The Shadow Files. Hello and welcome to Loose Units, The Shadow Files. Possibly the most corrupt police officer in Australia has died behind bars. Roger Rogerson, aged 83, has passed away. And as regular listeners will know, and readers of the Loose Units books, Dad was around when Roger Rogerson was at the height of his, I guess powers is the wrong word, but what we thought we'd do today is talk through who Roger Rogerson was. And alarmingly, I was looking up on Google, I was just, you know, going, all right, where do, where do I go to kind of deep dive into Roger Rogerson's history? And I was trying different words, different search strings, and I typed Roger Rogerson podcast. Uh, and the second, third, and fifth results were episodes of Loose Units. This is how much we've talked about him over the years. Dad and I have done countless episodes. Uh, we've done got 9 million listens on this show. So a lot of you, a lot of you will have listened to Dad talking about Rogerson. But we thought we'd do a bit of a roundup and a bit of a look back at this incredibly complicated man who was a really, really, really bent cop. Uh, he passed away behind bars uh, uh, aged 83 at 11.15 p.m. on Sunday. Uh, he was taken away from Long Bay Prison to the Prince of Wales Hospital over in Randwick, near where I went to university. But listen, Dad, just before we actually get into the episode, I would like to issue uh, an explanation. So, as many listeners will also know, if you listen to Loose Ends, which is our spin-off podcast, I suffer from migraines. I mean, really bad migraines. And no, since we last checked in, I haven't actually fixed them. I've been trying my damnedest. We've been doing everything under the sun. And all the advice is really appreciated from listeners. But basically, I was in the midst of a multi-day migraine spree. And the time came to record. And I was I, one of my eyes wouldn't open. I mean, it was just a nightmare. And Dad very kindly said, you know what, mate? Just stay in bed. And I also didn't get to record Game for Anything, which is my other podcast. And uh, I was so sick that I didn't... I literally couldn't get onto the keyboard to uh, type an explanation. And I woke the next day to a bunch of lovely messages from people going, hey, just a welfare check, just checking in to see if you're okay, Paul. We assume that something's gone wrong. You are correct. But again, I was too busted to actually be able to do anything. And I had a brief window where I could kind of get outside. And because I'm addled, I just sort of wandered around and forgot to get back to all of you. So my, uh, my sincere apologies for not explaining, but I am feeling somewhat better. Although, Dad, I did actually wake up 
with a migraine this morning. It's a it's a hell of a thing. It's it's shit. Yeah. Um, my father, your grandfather, suffered terribly. Um, I could see him in my the worst days. I could see him crying, sort of on the end of his bed. Something that no son likes to see mm. their father do. Yeah. But he did grow out of them. So that's something. Yeah, but when? I'm 41. I turned 41 a couple of days mm. ago. When? When is this? <laughs> I know, I know. And also Anne's best friend, Prue. Oh, she yeah. she yeah. used to get migraines. She's grown out of them. So mm. hopefully there's light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. Now, I've got some contacts okay. um, inside and outside the New South Wales Police Force. Gotcha. And also contacts within the world of journalism. And some of these people are high profile. Uh, having said they're high profile, I'm now going to also say that they keep a low profile when it comes to certain matters. And matters of is, crime... Is this pertaining to a very, very confidential text message that you got on the weekend? Mm. Well, this particular person that notified me on the weekend, well, let's just say I got some texts late last night uh-huh. about Mr. Rogerson. Okay. But I also have been getting texts from a certain contact mm. that have been going on now in relation to Rogerson's health for many months. Right. So you were kind of in the, in the know because, I mean, you've occasionally gone to talk about Rogerson and you have regularly joked that I would say X, Y, Z, but uh, Mr. Rogerson is still very much alive. Mm. That is no longer the case. No, well, he passed away. So for mm. for you and me, yeah. sitting here now, he passed away 10 hours ago. Okay. So listeners, tomorrow morning, I'm now looking into the future, which is your present. That's very It confusing. will be two days back. Okay. Okay. So just think of... Sunday evening, Australian Eastern Standard Time. So okay. if, you, if you're in England or Canada um, or Europe uh, or Asia or, f- for that matter, probably every continent on this planet, because I know that we have listeners pretty well everywhere, Yeah, you can sort of just work backwards. Um, I had discussed with Christine at some length, and I hadn't discussed this with you or Tegan Paul, that I was going to write a letter to Roger Rogerson in Long Bay Jail. I had been thinking about it because I'd been made aware of his health and I had this incredibly sort of uh, audacious idea that he may like to talk to me, but not really as an ex-police officer in terms of me being an ex-police officer, but the fact that we'd both done other things in our lives prior to joining the New South Wales Police Force. And I thought what, we could... did, what did he do before he was... Well, he was a licensed plumber and gas fitter. He was a tradie? Yeah. That's bananas. Mm. Huh. And when he left the New South Wales Police Force, um, a disgraced police officer, he actually went back for a time into that trade. And on the surface, he he lived a very austere, sort of almost banal sort of private persona. It was not sort of all the glitz. You know, he didn't live in a mansion in the eastern suburbs of Sydney. He um, he drove a pretty ordinary type car. But I would like to 
sort of move around a little bit in the story because he received an award in 1980 and it's the highest award a serving or non-serving or even deceased member of the New South Wales Police Force can it gets it's the it's the ultimate accolade and it's called right. the Peter Mitchell Award. Okay. Okay, now in 1980 when I joined the New South Wales Police Force, mm-hmm. you and the listeners will recall that I went to Redfern Police Academy. Roger Rogerson in 1980 also attended the police academy in Burke Street, Redfern. Huh. But he went there to receive the award. Now, I mention this because it's not possible for any human, I believe, to be totally bad. It's just not possible. And Roger Rogerson rose through the ranks. And I was thinking about when he joined the New South Wales Police Force, you know, he would have had aspirations. I don't know any police officer. There would be so few in the world that would actually come up, sort of hatch a plan to join an organisation like that with ulterior motives to say to themselves, I am going to become a bent cop. Well, you don't think people enter law enforcement because they feel like they want to sort of... No, I just can't. That, that, would, that would certainly be playing the long game. I think that's... I, I mean, look, I... Do you think I'm being sort of idealistic? Yeah, I do. I mm. do. I think okay. there's absolutely people who enter... Dad, people objectively enter positions of power because they want to make money, get power. They want to... You know, this is a... I, I kind of understand that, Paul, but I think in the beginning you need a certain... Uh, it's like joining the services, fiery Zambos, police... Nursing, medicine, the military. Um, I think in the, in your core being, there's got to be a kernel of of light that sort of makes you at least think. Okay, maybe things change once you're in. You hope that the processes of sort of um, you know how you go for the interviews and all the tests you do. Mm. I I I hope that. They can at least weed out some people. Well, bear in mind, you said that when... Okay, you referred to the 80s in Sydney as the Wild West of policing, mm, right? Definitely, now, yeah. But then you said at one point that the 70s was just as bad, if not worse. Now, is it not possible that somebody with Rogerson's clear bent moral barometer that he was watching cops going, oh, I like a piece of that, and then he dived into... I mean, that's, that is entirely... That seems plausible to me. Um, but I also think it's deeply romantic that you think that people don't join the police force, uh, some people, I mean outliers, obviously, in order to exploit the system. I mean, that seems... But also, uh, I, I hear where you're coming from, but you've then yeah. got to look at, if you lay out a, a career path, sure, it's really difficult to, to achieve and attain hmm. certain goals particularly if you don't know anything about the workings of that organisation. Um, if you had relatives and you'd followed their history, mm-hmm. you could sort of glean from conversations over the dinner table about yeah. and, and, and be an avid reader of the, of the press. Mm-hmm. But I tend to think that it would be opportunities and you would invariably within a um, sort of a career path, you would come to crossroads. Um, it might be monthly, six monthly, yearly, where things, events would happen that would steer you in a particular 
path. But in his early days, Roger Rogerson was noted for being very charismatic, conscientious, highly competent. He had a real feel. And what happened to Roger Rogerson is the same thing that happened to myself and Julian. That is that we were general duties police because we Roger Rogerson would have worked GDs. Oh, yeah. He would have been on patrol. He would have worked for a few years. He would have shown... Oh, yes. I, just let me predict. You're saying that he, uh, he would have shown potential and then eventually been approached about becoming a detective. He would have either A, been approached. He certainly yeah. would have been encouraged by senior officers, as mm-hmm. I was. I mean, detectives they are always on the lookout for recruits. They can clearly see people that would not be suitable. Mm. Um, You really do have to be... Okay, I'm not going to talk about being a detective now because, quite frankly, I know the principles are the same, but things are very different. But you needed to show tenacity. You needed to be hard-working, mm-hmm. zealous, um, not afraid to do overtime, go the extra mile, yeah. have empathy, uh, and just use your, use cunning because it's, it's, it's a game of yeah. sort of catching the people. But when Roger Rogerson left the New South Wales Police Force, he had a stint doing uh, live shows mm-hmm. with some very notorious, nefarious characters. But he talks about that he used to receive every single Christmas a particular Christmas card from a particular woman. And this went on for many, many years. Now, Roger Rogerson had been in the armed hold-up squad. That was a heavy squad. Gotcha. They were in the Remington building, which yep. is where I was in fingerprints. Oh, God. Well, I know that you've driven me past the Remington building. Yes. That's right. Where they had the, the drug squad. They had the undercover uh, police. You may recall, you and the listeners, that um, downstairs on, I think it was B5, they kept the the cars that belonged to the hardcore deep cover police. Yeah. It was a fascinating array of the most extraordinary motor vehicles. Mm-hmm. And... You know, Roger Rogerson, he, as I said, he got this card every year from this particular woman. Now, the woman turned out to be the mother of a young guy. Now, there were three notorious armed robbers, and they were working Liverpool, Bankstown, sort of outer western Sydney back in the 80s. And these guys were so heavy, they had escaped from Goulburn Jail, Right. They uh, Roger Rogerson was involved in setting up this really massive undercover operation to try and catch these these three guys who were absolutely fucking scary. Yeah. And one night, their modus operandi was to rob banks during the day, and at hotels they'd wait till the hotel was just about to close, and then mm-hmm. they'd go in brandishing shotguns, pistols, and they would rob the establishment of all its cash takings, and sometimes they'd even take all the wallets from all the staff. Now, on this fateful night, Mm. this young guy who was at university, he was 19 years of age, he was one of the victims of this particular armed robbery. They escaped 
after robbing the contents <clears throat> of the hotel and the car that the offenders were using, and this was being driven by two of the three because one of the, uh, one of the three that had escaped from Goulburn Jail had been caught a few days before by Roger Rogerson. These two guys hop in this car and the car was misfiring. I don't know whether it was running low on fuel, had bad fuel, but the young guy, the uni student and a mate, they ran out into the car park and they saw this car sort of, you know, the engine's missing. It's sort of clunking along and heading off into the, into the darkness. And this young guy, he owned a beautiful Volkswagen, which is exactly the type of car that I owned when I was in the New South Wales Police Force as a young constable. Mm -hmm. They hop in the VW and... For whatever reason, they decided to follow the guys and they caught up with them, bearing in mind they're driving um, sort of a big V8 um, pursuit car. Yeah. The reason being if they got in a chase, they could you know, put the foot down and piss off. Absolutely. Yeah. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. The little VW pulls up alongside because the, the young 19-year-old uni student who was working part-time at the pub, he wanted to sort of, you know, identify these, these crims. And as he pulls up alongside with his mate, the offender, one of the offenders in the passenger seat, lowers the window, mm-hmm. takes a uh, fully loaded shotgun out, and lets one shot go, he tore the head off the young guy. He blew his fucking head gone. His friend, who was the passenger, just was sitting there. You can imagine the little cabin inside the VW was just covered in fucking brains, and the car ran off the road. Now, Roger Rogerson, a few days later, apprehended the shooter. The mother of the young boy was so grateful, went to the court, heard the, um, the case, and f- until she died, she sent a card thanking Roger Rogerson. I, I mention this story because I again 
fall back on the premise that I don't believe that everyone is 100% bad. And, um, you know, I'm not making excuses for Roger Rogen. He was, he, he shot and killed that we know of three people. The last one that we know of, well, he also was involved in Jamie Gao. Mm. He's the young Vietnamese um, sort of drug dealer that wanted to become a kingpin. <sighs> yeah, can you, I really want to go into this because, yeah, let's get to Jamie Gowan next week, though. Mm-hmm. Agree. Because that's sort of the, the finale. Yeah. His, Roger Rogerson's career was... It was so extraordinary, and he was working at a time... I've often said to you and the listeners that as a police officer at North Sydney, mm. when we used to go into town or if we had a high-speed chase that finished in the eastern suburbs, we were not allowed to come back to our station via King's Cross slash Darlinghurst. It was an area for all other police in Sydney. It was, it was a no-go area. You just weren't allowed to go into that particular... I mean, have you ever heard of anything so surreal and bizarre? No, it's... It's just unbelievable. I used to sort of think to myself as a, as a young police officer in my 20s, Yeah, I, I, I was aware of what was happening in the cross. Um, a very, very dear friend of mine at the police academy, he actually volunteered, uh, he applied from the academy to go to Darlinghurst. And it, we all thought he was crackers because we all knew about what was happening there at the academy because yeah. the stories from our instructors that were coming out about all the extraordinary things happening in the police force were all basically centred around Darlinghurst, which is where Roger Rogerson was stationed. You've all heard the story, yeah, not publicly, but on our podcast, that one of the cells at Darlinghurst Police Station was a 24-hour bar. That is absolutely... Yeah. It's so... It's just surreal. Yeah, yeah. And they were working with impunity. The detectives at Darlinghurst, because there was no King's Cross Police Station back then, uh, that is a... It's a new dwelling, relatively speaking. I... I have met police that have worked the beat in Darlinghurst and I've heard a lot of stories and they're just not for press. You recall the the story that you wrote about in Loose Units where I was involved in the murder of a prostitute? I actually, when I was in forensics, I I went to the murder of a prostitute Mm. that had been found by the guys that had pulled up on the side of the road and they smelt something dreadful. Just quickly, run us through through that just quickly. Mm. Well, we got a call to a... uh, um, the scene of a person halfway down a cliff Mm. north of Sydney in a suburb called Barara where at midsummer, 10 in the morning, some council workers had pulled up on the side of the road. They'd made themselves a makeshift sort of set up a little, um, like a burner, mm-hmm. and they were heating up their their water for a cup of tea. And one of them smelt this dreadful odour. He looked over the side. He thought he could see something that 
could have been an animal. It was just, it was very difficult to determine what it was. And police rescue were called in. They determined that it was a, uh, a human body. Then I was um, kitted up with all the, you know, the cliff, the rope sort of climbing gear. Mm-hmm. And then the New South Wales Police Rescue Squad lowered me down this 45 degree um, sort of cliff, basically. And I had all my, my camera gear with me. And as they lowered me down, I got closer and closer. The smell was intense and I began to realise that it was in fact a deceased female person. I photographed the scene in its entirety, got all the evidence that we required. Then we did the retrieval. She was wearing a leather coat. That's that, that, that terrible story when I went to... I saw a button from her coat that had been... Obviously, there'd been a struggle or there's something had happened above and then when she'd been thrown over this cliff, clearly one of her buttons had torn off her leather jacket and I went down to pick up the leather... In fact, Paul, I'm just thinking, you know, this could be a story that we've only told on, you know, in our live shows. I'm not quite sure, but I think mm. we we touched on a few things that were pretty heavy. No, we, we talked about this back during Electric Blue, but I mean, new details always come and go yeah. in these stories. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then I was reaching down to pick up this very incriminating piece of evidence that was pressed into the soil on the side of the road, and this detective, basically, what I could see was this foot coming towards my hand. Oh, that's and right. he crushed my hand. Yeah, because you were about to pick up. The... I was about to pick up this very incriminating piece of evidence. Proof of a struggle. And this particular detective, he he didn't say anything. I think I was even too scared to even look at his face. Now, something terrible had happened in this particular story. Yeah. And then years later, I bumped into a um, an undercover police officer, who who basically, you know, indicated that things were awry. And then when I was doing some some deep sort of forensic research on Roger Rogerson, some of the more sort of not so well-known cases, I then find out that Roger Rogerson was implicated in up to 10 murders. And some people have even said that he yeah. may well be Australia's first serial killer. Oh my God. Mm, extraordinary, <laughs> we, isn't it? Yeah, we have a real... Look, for those of you not in Australia, we do occasionally lionise the deeds of criminals. I know that England has Robin Hood. We, Ned Kelly became a mythic figure. And when you look at Ned Kelly, and I tried to explain the appeal of Ned Kelly, Dad, to a bunch of friends in the States, and they're like, so did he give to the poor? And I went, not really. No, he didn't. No. And, and you know, there is a certain romanticism around, you know, um, sticking up for the little guy and pushing back against, you know, against the law and against the man. And I, I know that those, I don't know, I just feel like sometimes we tend to have folk heroes who are a little bit murderous. But what's interesting about Rogerson is he never tipped into folk hero, even while he became a pop cultural kind of staple. You know, he was, mm. at one point he was doing book readings yes. uh, with Chopper back in mm. the uh, late, 20, like around 20, uh, 2009, around mm. then. Um, there was a TV series made about him, Blue Murder, with, yep. starring Richard Roxburgh, which he mm. didn't did not care for one jot. No, well, I actually did a job for yeah. the writer. What? Yeah, Dad. Who who 
who lived very, very close to where Christian and I live now. And I was talking to him yeah. because Roger Rogerson described him mm-hmm. in, in some very unflattering words, a lot of them the, the C word. Can I read the quote? Because yes. I've got this quote. Okay, so, this is, so the year he was released from jail, I'm just going to read here from, um, from the Sydney Morning Herald's obituary of Roger Rogerson this morning, uh, as of the day of this recording. In 1995, the same year he was released from jail, Rogerson's infamy was heightened after the screening of Ian David's. It was Ian David, the guy you... Yep, yep. Okay. Jesus. Oh, my God. Ian David's famous TV series, Blue Murder. When asked about the famous scene where Lanfranchi was shot, that's Warren Lanfranchi, and we'll talk about that again uh, soon, Rogerson said, I mean, he made it out to be this fucking conspiracy between the 18 coppers who were there that day, when really it was just a Saturday afternoon's work as far as we were concerned. Of the scriptwriter, Rogerson said, Ian David is a buff-head, bald-headed, big-headed C... C word. I should have sued the C word and those F wits at the ABC, but of course I've got no credit left. Not a fan. Not a fan mm. of Ian David. I, Dad, mm. I'm sorry. Did you tell us already that you did a job for the writer of Blue Murder? That's huge. Mm. Well, I, he and his wife, in fact, I did a lot of work for them in my picture hanging uh, career. Oh my God. And at first he didn't take me that seriously, <clears throat> but he was also, get ready for this, he was also the writer for Skippy. The Bush Kangaroo. Are you serious? I'm serious. It's it's incredible. He was quite elderly when I met him. He would have been in his 70s. Okay. And I remember saying, because I was a little bit sort of, I was a bit edgy. I He wasn't taking me that seriously. And then I, I absolutely <clears throat> pissed him off so badly. I said to him, I said, oh, I said, um, you know, the show that you wrote, I said, um, I said that was like play school compared to what it was really like, and he was really affronted. Why would but you I, say that to? A, why would you say that to anyone? Why would you? Because <laughs> why would you insult him that way? Because the things that I saw in the New oh. South Wales Police Force, yeah, were a lot worse than any TV show. Yeah, but why would you say? Like, you know what kind of reaction that's going to get? Well, you, it right? did get that reaction, um, and but that didn't perturb me but that's that's just part of you know sometimes i just can't can't resist it and you know i but it it was okay and his wife did um some years later we had a laugh because he he passed away and i still see her occasionally in the area um but you know that we all know that there are lots of things that i saw in the new south wales police force that i will never be able to talk about i like to kind of give little hints but you've got to be very very careful uh and we've we tread a very fine line with our podcast Mm -hmm. and to date we've had no problems i am often asked by people um oh um you know what do the police think of you know the podcast Mm -hmm. and we've only ever had incredibly positive comments and the overwhelming in fact the 100 percent consensus by serving and ex-members of the New South Wales Police Force and other police forces is one of, it's really great that you talk about these things. Um, But there's no statute of limitations on murder. So one has to be very, very uh, careful and considerate about what one says and what we say in, in the podcast. But it's definitely the end of an era. But there's so much more to Roger Rogerson, Paul. It's, it's, It's fascinating. And I think that 
next week we should get into some of the um, uh, the murky stories. Yeah, we do actually have a bunch of stuff that we're going to talk about next week. Mm. Um, I'm I'm nervous. I'm a little bit nervous because we're going to dive into some of the darker aspects of specific things he did. It's it's fascinating. This whole look, I got some texts from you about Roger Rogerson as this stuff was happening. Uh, I'm just very curious to see what you tell me next week. Not that I think you're going to really take to heart the idea that uh, now that he's dead, you're allowed to say all these things that you have been holding back. Now that Roger Rogerson's passed away, it's entirely possible that other things will come out. So let's just keep our eyes open, okay? Because I'm very, very curious as to what's going to happen. So that's all the time we have for this week's part one look at Roger Rogerson. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. And we will see you uh, later this week, actually, for more Loose Units. Bye, everyone. Cheerio.